Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1. Then Elashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Haskos, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Mezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, Tekoites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joiada, the son of Pasia, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshahana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Jelatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maronotite, the men of Gibeon and of Mispes, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uzil, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattish, the son of Hashbabnidiah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab repaired another section in the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. The next passage, Nehemiah chapter 4. Now when Sembalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdotites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. 
So in the lowest part of space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labeled on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In a place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. The next passage is on Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has been at work uh, since creation. Uh, you have been at work in bringing those who have turned away from you, uh, who have fallen into sin and uh, rejection and broken relationship, um, who have broken our lives and the world. Uh, you have sought us out uh, to bring us home. And we thank you that you've been at work, uh, especially through your son, the Lord Jesus, whom you sent 2,000 odd years ago, uh, to be our saviour, to be our king, uh, to restore us into uh, your family, your kingdom, and to give us the, the joy and privilege of doing your work. And so today, Father, we pray that you'll help us as we hear your word, that we'll be deeply encouraged and challenged uh, to keep living for Jesus and serving his kingdom. And this we pray in his most precious name. Amen. Now, heaven and hell uh, is real. Heaven and hell is real. Uh, life is short, and Jesus 
could return at any time. And the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is our only hope. Now, these things I've just said are what Christians believe, right? For those of us who are believers in this room, this is what we believe. Though often we tuck away these realities into the kind of back of our mind and we don't really think about them on a day-to-day basis. But when we do think about these things and we bring it to the forefront of our attention that heaven and hell is real, that life is short and Jesus could return at any time, and that the gospel is our only hope, then I think a lot of us are struck, aren't we, by the urgency and by the need for us to be active in engaging the world with the gospel, to be serving the world with the gospel, Uh, finding ways to see our lost friends saved, uh, helping young believers to be grounded in the faith, Uh, helping those who are struggling in their faith to be able to stand firm and hold on to Jesus, Uh, for us to be able to help others to grow uh, into maturity uh, and getting more involved in ministry in the church and in mission to the world. But it's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, Even when we are struck by, by the need to serve the Lord in these ways, it's a challenge because there always seems to be barriers, does it not, Uh, to our desire and willingness to serve, uh, to do God's work. Uh, Sometimes we are simply just distracted, aren't we, and unwilling. And sometimes we're not sure that it's worth giving all this time, energy, and money to the work of God. Other times uh, we're engaged in conflict and broken relationships, even within the church. And we're discouraged to keep serving because things are just so hard, even just among Christian brothers and sisters. Or we simply find it hard because reaching out to people is hard work, isn't it? We, we, we often face resistance, perhaps even ridicule and rejection. Now today, we dive back into Nehemiah after a week's break. And just to remind you about what happened last, last time we were here in Nehemiah. Uh, previously in chapter 2, uh, we see Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem right, to rally the people of God to join him in rebuilding the city of God, Jerusalem. Remember, this is about 450 B.C., okay? So it's a long time ago, and Nehemiah is back in the city of God, and he's rallying the people to rebuild the city of God. And the people responded at the end of chapter 2 by saying, uh, yes, right, let's do it. Let us rise and build. Let us rise up and build. Just chapter 2, verse 18, if you look back. Now, this week, as we move into chapter 3 and 4, we'll, we will see God's people at work. We see a great diversity of people united in doing the work of rebuilding. Uh, They faced great challenges, yet they relied on God and were ready to keep working. And all of this is driven by the fact that God is at work. Behind their work is God who is at work. God who's working to achieve His purposes uh, uh, out in the world and to provide the protection that His people need. And so I hope that God's Word today would be a source of great encouragement in our service to the Lord today. Now, if you look into chapter 3, the previous chapter ended uh, with a hearty, let us rise up and build. Uh, And rise up and build is what the people do, as we see in chapter 3, right? Chapter 3 is basically a roll call, uh, a report of all who did the work. Now, let's be honest, who was relieved that Matthew stopped the reading where he stopped? Right? I was very kind. I thought, we'll just read one one or two paragraphs rather than 32 verses of chapter 3. Have a scan through chapter 3. Uh, And maybe you were very glad that we didn't read all of it. It's the kind of chapter when we do our Bible readings, if we were to read the Bible, all right, from book to book, it's the kind of chapter that we would skip, right? Let's be honest, who skips through passages like this, chapters like this? I do, and I'm the pastor, don't be shy, yes. (laughs) 
uh, sometimes, especially numbers, right? Numbers, oh my goodness, right? What do I need to know? How many people from which tribe went? Anyway, it's filled with names and with places that mean next to nothing to almost all of us. But a little bit of hard work yields great results, beautiful results. Now, let me point out some key things that we can see from chapter 3. Now, firstly, I think it's very hard to miss just how much diversity there is in this chapter. Right? When you think about who is doing the work of God, the diversity is, is insane, isn't it? It begins with the high priest and his priestly family, right? the highest-ranking religious leader of the, one of the most religious cities in the world is putting their hands to the work of rebuilding. We also see high city officials at work all getting their hands dirty. Right? The holy men, right? the, the high-fine political men, they are doing the work. Uh, then we see that they are goldsmith, jewelers, and perfume makers, right? professions that use sort of fine motor skills and intricate senses. And they're out there at the building site, right? Getting their hands dirty far outside of their comfort zones. We've seen, we see traders, merchants become tradies. Uh, there are individuals and there are families. Right, have a look at verse 12. Shalom, the half-ruler of Jerusalem, got his girls involved in doing the work. I love this verse, right? This is kind of speaking to my family, isn't it? Uh, got his girls to get involved in rebuilding. You've got people from different clans and tribes. If you were to trace all the, the, the names and you found out which families they're from, they're from different families, different tribes, different clans. People who come from out of town, from cities outside of Jerusalem, uh, places like Jericho, if you go look at a map, right, Jericho and Tekoa. It's like they're commuting to work every day. Uh, and you've got those locals who live right next to the building site, next to the walls, next to the gates. Some people we see in this chapter, they do more. Right, check out Merimoth, the son of Uriah, in verse 4. You see that he, he builds the fish gate. And then later down in verse 21, he goes and repairs another section. Right? He, there's a few of them who did uh, um, double, triple the amount of work. And others did less. There's a huge diversity of people here, but they were all committed. All committed to a common cause. To the work of rebuilding and, and renovating and restoring the gates and the walls of God's city, Jerusalem. Right, the common cause of doing the work that God gave them to do. And, and that's the second key observation that we can make or we need to make from this chapter. It, it seems that all of the people of Jerusalem and even many from the surrounding areas and cities made themselves available to do this work of God. All except the Tekoite nobles, as we see in verse 5. Right? They were the only ones. They alone were not willing to stoop down from their nobility, their high position, to do the dirty work of rebuilding, rebuilding the city of God. You kind of wonder, don't you? What, what kind of view of God would they have had to have to not be willing to do the work of God, the work that everyone else were doing? Now, even this one exception, even this one exception highlights how remarkable, remarkable it is that the rest were so engaged in this common cause. And none of them were professional builders or tradies. Right? If you look through the list of things that they were on about, they weren't professional builders or tradies. Uh, some of them were of high religious or sociopolitical ranking. Some of them had really soft hands, right? the goldsmiths, jewelers. Uh, some of them, no doubt, were weak uh, of physique. Uh, some were greatly inconvenienced, having to travel to work each day, having to put aside their, their jobs, uh, their own projects, maybe their own uh, renovations of their house uh, that some of us are doing here. But for the work of rebuilding the city of God, the temple, the walls, the gates, they were willing. 
And did you notice how the phrase sort of next to him comes up? Right? From, from verses 1 to 12, uh, the, the phrase next to him just comes up again and again, right? Next to him, this person. Next to him, this person. There is a real sense that we're all doing this together side by side. God's people united in this work. And then later on, from verses 15 to 32, is the phrase after him. Now, you'll see it in the ESV. You won't see it in the NIV. NIV likes to make things very nice sounding, so they keep changing the repeated words. But the repeated word in verses 15 to 32 is after him, right? After him, after him. It occurs like 15, 20 times. There's a real sense that there's a long line of workers, one person, and then the next, and then the next, like a, like a human chain, um, uh, a few months ago, it was a few months ago now, we helped uh, the Chins, uh, Andrew and Mel, move into their new rental. Uh, their house got burnt down, you can ask them about it. Uh, it's taking a long time to rebuild, so they had to rent a place. And, and so a few of us went to help. And initially, we were all willy-nilly, right? We just went to the truck, just grabbed what we could, brought it to the house, just dumped it anywhere, right? Mel and Andrew sorted it out. But eventually, we thought, maybe we should form a line, right? And so we had Ivan inside the truck, and I was there helping him, and a long line of people into the house. And, and, and before too long, right, it was all done in an orderly and beautiful fashion. Uh, orderliness is always good because God is a God of order. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> wrong application of that verse. But, but uh, the, 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 the fact that we're doing one after the other, right, it was such a, a beautiful picture of kind of working together at something. And we see it here, isn't it? The roll call and the report of chapter 3 began in verse 1 at the sheep gate. I'm not sure if you noticed it. Went around the entire city anti-clockwise and it ended back up at the sheep gate, right? Next to, side by side, one after the other, more or less, all kinds of people, diversity, working together to do the work of God. It sounds so good, doesn't it? It sounds so smooth sailing, chapter 3. But no, it certainly wasn't smooth sailing, right? Chapter 4 gives us another report, in a way, another camera angle to the rebuilding work. Chapter 3 was kind of like the montage sequence of a movie, right? Showcasing all the diverse people, all that work in their section, finishing the whole project, right? That montage sequence that lasts maybe like two, three minutes. But chapter 4 shows us and zooms in on two scenes. One short scene and one long scene of the opposition that the people faced as they did this work. And so we see uh, that um, uh, scene 1, well, I come to scene one, is, is the rage-filled ridicule, right, that they copped, that the people of God copped, the rage-filled ridicule. Sambalat, the governor of Samaria in the north, right, and Tobiah, some kind of official from the east, uh, from Ammon, we've already met them at the end of chapter two, right, they're back. Uh, uh, Sambalat and Tobias, um, uh, the people of Samaria and the people of Ammon were kind of long-time opponents of Jerusalem, of the people of God and of God. Uh, they had this long-standing feud. Uh, and when they heard that this rebuilding uh, was happening, they were enraged. Uh, and their first attack was in the form of ridicule. So have a look at verse 2, right? Chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, and he said, and this is uh, Sambalat, and he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burnt once at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, basically, uh, they ridiculed the Jews for being weak, right? for being weak 
for engaging in a pointless task, mocking their ability to achieve anything. And even if they were to build something, it would be so rubbish that a fox would jump on it and it would just crumble. Right? It won't last. It would just crumble. Weak, pointless, unachievable, and it won't stand. Right? That was the, the ridicule right, that the enemies directed at the people of God. Now, when we get down to verse 7 and 8, uh, the opposition gets dialed up even more, doesn't it? The ridicule didn't stop the work, so the opponents rage on and raise the heat, and they raise the resistance. Now, even more rulers and armies join in. Uh, Samaritan Sambalat from the north, we've already met. Ammonite Tobias from the east. The Arabs, if you look at the map, they're from the south. And then you've got the Ashdodites from the west, north, east, Southwest, right? All around, uh, the enemies rose up, a uh, great force of enemies surrounding Jerusalem, plotting together to fight them and to stop them from completing the work. Now, things are starting to look very, very dire, aren't they? Very dire. Now, how, how did Nehemiah and the people of God respond to this? Now, the first response to both the ridicule as well as the great threat of resistance, was to pray, wasn't it? The first thing they did was to pray. Did you see that? Verse 4 and 5, and then in verse 9. Relying on God through prayer is always, always a great starting point. Right? Always a great starting point to rely on God in prayer. Now, against the ridicule, Nehemiah prays for vindication. Uh, Nehemiah prays that God will justly bring upon the enemies what they are dishing out, right? Justice. Vindication. Now, he wasn't asking. It sounds pretty bad when you see what he's praying for. But he's not praying for some kind of personal vengeance, right? Uh, he's actually praying for God's honor. It is their sin against God that matters more, that matters most to Nehemiah. The opposition and ridicule of the rebuilding work, Nehemiah saw as first and foremost against God. This is God's work that they're ridiculing, right? Yes, it would have bothered them, no doubt. Uh, but ultimately... It was against God that they were sinning. Now, against the, the, the rising resistance of uh, verse um, um, six, uh, 7 and 8, we see Nehemiah pray for protection. Now, this one's common sense, right? It's the obvious thing that you would pray for or when you're under attack, when you are being surrounded and, flee, and, and fearing for your life. So the first thing they do is pray. The second thing they do, uh, having prayed, is to remain on task. Now, whether they were facing ridicule or resistance, the people pressed on with the work. We see this in verse 6, don't we? They didn't let the ridicule stop them from working. Now, I'm pretty certain, I'm very certain that it would have bothered them to have been ridiculed in this way. You know how when we're growing up, we are taught to say this chant when we are being hurt by people with their words? What is it, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? Usually children say that, right, with tears welling in their eyes. Okay? It's nonsense. Of course, words hurt. Right? Ridicule would have bothered them, no doubt. But they pressed on, didn't they? They pressed on with the work. I love the end of verse 6. And look at it. Right? Why? For the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. They were determined, they were, they were focused, they were keen as. If you want to be a young person, right? They were keen as. However, 
against the resistance and the threat of violence, more was needed. Right? They would eventually resume the work, but more was needed for them to be able to press on because there was definitely much more reason to fear uh, when the resistance and the heat rose. They feared. Have a look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see uh, till we come among them and, and kill them and stop the work. You see, the, the enemies, they could pounce at any time. Uh, under threat, they felt their weakness all the more. Right, the size of the work just seemed insurmountable. Look at all the rubble. How are we going to fix this? Right, the, the work's too hard. Right, the enemies are at the doorstep. Gripped by fear, they, they didn't think they could do the work, not without help. So some of the Jews, coming from all directions, right, from all around the work site, they came running to Nehemiah and said, you must return to us. Right, ten times they asked. They were desperate. They were in need. And now, obviously, Nehemiah can't be everywhere at one time, so he did the next best thing, right? He rallied groups of people to defend different parts of the city, right? He rallied the people. Uh, relying on God in prayer did not mean not doing anything, right? Not taking action. And Nehemiah knew this, and so he took action. He rallied the people and put together a kind of makeshift defense force right, to, to guard the, the, the city, to guard the people, but really, what could this makeshift army really achieve all right, against the mighty forces that surrounded them north, east, south, and west? Now, it's certainly the right thing to do. It was right to do something. But anybody with half an eye will be able to see that they were outmatched. Right? They had no chance if the, the enemies really came and fought them. But you see, the people of God weren't just to see things with their physical eyes, not just to see things as they are. Have a look at verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the, to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They were afraid. They were deeply scared. And Nehemiah says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But you kind of wonder, how can they not be? How can they not be afraid? Well, Nehemiah tells them how they cannot be afraid. Remember all that God has done. Remember all that God has done. Look, look into your memories uh, and remember your past experiences. What has God done? What has God shown? Now, most recently... They had seen Nehemiah come back into town, right, flanked by the Persian army as an escort, right, with the timber that's needed to rebuild the work from the king, the king of Persia's very own forests. That's what they had seen. They had seen the power, the, the greatness, the awesomeness of God to move King Artaxerxes' heart, right, to be able to begin this work. If they were to look back a little bit further beyond that to Ezra to see how God had brought the exiles back, right, under the previous king. They would go back a little bit further and they would see how even in exile God was with them, protecting them, looking after them. Remember the Lord, 
Nehemiah says. If you go back further into their history, there were so many uh, occasions and instances of experience to draw upon where they could remember how great and awesome their Lord God was. And so Nehemiah says, remember the Lord and fight and fight. Now, if you just see with human eyes, if you just look at your makeshift army, what you're up against, sure, be afraid, be very afraid. You've got no chance. But if you look into your memories and remember all that the Lord has done, then be unafraid and fight. And then Nehemiah adds in an added motivation, doesn't he? Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for all that you love. Now, when I read this verse, I think you've got to read it with that kind of epic movie vibe, right? You've got to read it with that kind of rousing speech, that rally cry. Look up to God. That's what Nehemiah says. Look up to God. Look to your source of strength and look to who fights for you. And look to the side. Look at what's at stake. Look at who you're fighting for. Look who's fighting for you and look at who you're fighting for. And so the people of God remained on task in the work of rebuilding. So they relied on God in prayer. They rallied together. They remembered God's greatness. And it worked, right? In verse 16, have a look at verse 16. The plans of the enemies were frustrated. They gave up. They saw the rallying of the people. They knew that God was fighting for Israel, for the Jews. For now, things were okay because they had gone home, so to speak, for the moment. Nehemiah wasn't so naive as to think that it was all over. They were still living around them, surrounding them. He recognized that the threat would remain and that they would return one day. He recognized the need for things to be done differently. They would need to have work tools in one hand and weapons in the other. They would need to work with diligence in the daytime and to watch with vigilance at night, being ready to work and to defend. In the face of opposition, this was the new normal, right? The new normal for them in a life where they would be opposed was to be ready to work and to fight. Now, Nehemiah was a wise leader who knew what was required for the work of God to continue. Now, that's what the passage is all about. I want to draw now a few clear teaching points, I think, from God's Word today, right? Things that we can learn. The first point here is to do with uh, having uh, a look again at these two chapters and to see and recognize that God is at work right, in these chapters. Uh, behind God's people at work, which is what these chapters are about, is and always will be the God who is at work. We see this in the time of Nehemiah in these chapters. It is God's good hand at work that results in the people putting their hands to doing the work of God. Chapter 1 and 2 is what results in chapter 3 and 4, right? It's God's good hand at work that results in the work of the people of God. It is good, God's good hand. It is, the, it is the certainty of God bringing about final judgment and vindication that allows the people to keep pressing on in the face of ridicule. It is God's power that gives protection over enemies and ensures that the work will go on. Right? In Nehemiah, we see it is God who is working to achieve his purposes and plans. Now, Nehemiah, like the whole of the Old Testament, points us forward right, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the gospel. You see, in the gospel, the work of God through his son Jesus Christ to bring sinners 
to salvation is what God most wants to achieve, right? The, the salvation plan of God from the beginning of creation or near the beginning of creation after the fall, right, is revealed in small ways and then bigger ways through the Old Testament, but it's finally revealed in full in the work of the gospel, what, Jesus does, what God does through Jesus, The return from exile in Ezra and the rebuilding of the city in Nehemiah all point forward, right, to the restoration, the redemption, and the salvation that is ultimately to be found in Jesus. God's good hand at work to send His Son into this world. God works final justice and vindication through giving His Son all authority to judge on that final day. God gives us in Jesus protection over all of the enemies that truly matter, the enemy of sin and death and the evil one. And like the work of God in Nehemiah, the work of Jesus is opposed, isn't he? The work of Jesus is opposed. Jesus was ridiculed as a weak nobody from Nazareth, right? Nazareth was a nothing town and Jesus was a nobody. They ridiculed him for claiming to be sent by God to do the work of God. He was spat on and mocked for being able to help others as he hung on the cross, but he wasn't able to save himself. So they mocked him and spat on him. He was raged against, he was resisted, and he was rejected. And finally, he was killed. The enemies thought that they had won, that Jesus was done, and all that he stood for and that he claimed they had crumbled to a heap, just like the enemies thought that the walls of Jerusalem would crumble to a heap. But Jesus accomplished the work of God. His work of salvation is the only power to save. It is history's most important accomplishment. It will never fail. Jesus and his kingdom and all whom he brings in will stand forever. Forever. Which brings us then to us today, right, and our work. Now, God's good hand has brought about the saving work of the gospel. And so now we as God's people put our hands to the good work of the gospel, right? God's good hand has been at work in giving us the wondrous gospel. And so now that is our work, the good work that we do for God. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, which you heard read before, talks about how this work is a partnership in the gospel that springs out of God's work in us. And for us, he also speaks in another part in 1 Corinthians 12 about how the church is like a body, right, with many parts all serving a common cause. The same themes that we see in Nehemiah 3 and 4. Now, wouldn't it be great if one day in the future there will be a roll call and a report of SLE in 2022, right, where we see the same kind of report of this? Beautiful diversity at work in this beautiful gospel unity. A report where it talks about how all the elders and the pastors, they were putting their shoulder to the work. We weren't just sitting on some nice office with our big oak table and a nice leather chair, right, telling everyone what to do. We were getting dirty with the work, right, getting involved with everybody else. Where we see the dentists and the doctors, the teachers and the technicians, the retail workers and the retirees, all busy doing the work of ministry in 2022. Singles and marrieds and family units of all kinds, international and interstate students and migrants, here for a few months or a few years, or locals born and bred in Brisbane, 
never stepping foot outside this city, this beautiful city, or at work in the gospel here in 2022 in Brisbane. All of us, diverse as we are, all doing whatever we can to be united in the work of the Lord this year and the next year and the year after that. Some doing more because of capacity and other reasons and some doing less, but all willing to do what must be done. All willing to to put in the effort and to make the sacrifice, willing to do what we are gifted at and even what we are not gifted at to serve the cause of Christ, to serve our brothers and sisters uh, in their faith and to serve our mission to the world to reach the lost. Wouldn't it be great if that was the report and roll call of SLE Church that someone wrote down the track? Now, I remember many years ago, um, there was this uh, uh, um, young lady who was really great at playing piano. Uh, She got her Elmas, Samus, Seamus, whatever it's called. Uh, I don't know these things about music, but she's really good, right? Uh, and, and she wanted to be part of our music team. By the time, there were a lot of great pianists in the church already, and they were settled into the ministry, but there were great needs in kids' church. Uh, and so I asked her, would you mind serving at kids' church instead? I think she was studying uh, therapy or psychology or something, and, and I knew she was pretty good with kids, but she said no, right? She refused me and said, no, I really want to use my gift. So she hung around for a little while, and eventually she left the church. Now, in almost 40 years of my ministry at SLE Church, this is one of the rare negative examples I have ever come across. I was quite sad to see that it was more about what she wanted to do and using her gift and to serve the needs. Now, overwhelmingly, though, I've been encouraged. One negative example, hundreds, perhaps thousands, is that exaggeration, of positive examples uh, over the years. Yes, okay, Monica agrees, right? Thousands. I've been encouraged that people want to serve in whatever way they can, sometimes using their gifts, sometimes doing things that they're not extri- very gifted at, right? Especially over the last two and a half years, because my memory doesn't go past beyond COVID. There was pre-COVID, which is no memory, and then COVID, right? That's all I remember. Two and a half years of COVID, so many changes forced upon us with so many uncertainties. But I've seen so many people just step up, just willing to serve in any way that you can that's helpful to the church, that's helpful to the mission. I've seen people willing to, to learn how to share their faith, even though it's something that's very uncomfortable for them. There are people willing to be trained up to disciple other people and to, to lead small groups. Uh, I've seen people uh, shift from one area of ministry, which they've been doing for, for months and years, to, to another, because there is a need. I've seen people divert their energies, their investment of time and money, uh, and away from you know, their own careers and their own projects, their own hobbies and interests, and, and directing it towards the work of God through the church. Uh, wouldn't, it be great? wouldn't it be great if we could do this more and more, more and more, because we know that we're doing the work of God? Now, as we do this work, we need to realize that we work under very similar conditions to Nehemiah and the Jews back in the day. Uh, we will face ridicule, We will be mocked for being weak people who are doing a worthless task that won't amount to anything. We'll be mocked that the so-called work we're doing will one day just be just uh, hot air, right? That that will just crumble and fall. We'll be ridiculed for believing in fairy tales and wasting our time and energy and money. 
Maybe you've already heard that from a parent or a sibling or a spouse or a friend. What are you doing wasting your Friday night at cell group? What are you doing wasting all these hours at church and going for camps and giving money to that corrupt institution called the church? Why are you wasting your life, son, daughter, husband, friend? But we know better, don't we? We are not wasting our time, money, or energy. We know different. We know what God has done in Jesus. But we will face resistance. A small number of us may even be resisted to the point of death. But for most of us, the resistance will come in many other forms. In those times, how will you respond? How will you respond? I think this passage tells us a lot about how to respond, right? Will you respond uh, by relying on God in prayer? Don't be self-reliant. You don't have enough strength for that. Rely on God in prayer. Will you remain on task? Don't give up. Will you rally with other believers to stand against the threat? Don't go at it alone. Right? We're meant to do this together. Will you remember God, our great and awesome God? Remember and don't fear. And will you recognize the need to remain diligent and vigilant? Now, on this final point, we would do well to spend some more time reflecting on in terms of being diligent and vigilant. Because I think if we're not vigilant, we won't work hard for the Lord because we will stumble and fall. Now, maybe you haven't been on guard and so the work of the Lord that you've been trying to do has waned. Right? I wonder whether we've really been on guard to, to watch the influence of the world, the influence of the, the voices of the, our family and friends and culture that perhaps is leading you astray from the work of God. I wonder whether you've been on guard against spiritual forces of evil, your sinful nature within and the schemes of the evil one without, luring you into sin, luring you into more and more conflict and strife within the church, and luring you away from God. Have you been failing to put on the armor of God? Now, I wish we could read uh, that beautiful passage right at the end of uh, Ephesians there. Um, but I want to talk about two things, right? Well, have you been arming yourself with the shield of faith? And have you been equipping yourself with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to be able to stand against the opposition that we face? Heaven and hell is real. Life is short. Jesus can return at any time. The work of the Lord is crucial. It is crucial. So let's get on with it. United in our diversity, facing whatever adversity that might come our way, let us keep doing the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, that in Nehemiah 3 and 4, and especially in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we see your good hand, your great and awesome hand at work in making sure that your purposes and plans for this world, especially for our salvation, it will continue on. It will be done. And so knowing that you are at work, help us to be your people at work. Help us to be united in our diversity, to embrace the fact that you've made us all so different, that we come from all different places with all different gifts and strengths and weaknesses, with all different personalities and interests. But in Christ, we have been united in this common cause uh, to continue to, to see the gospel go out, to see lost saved, to see young built up, to see those struggling be, uh, be able to stand firm, and to see those who are keen mature in ministry and in mission. 
we pray that you will help us as we face opposition of many kinds, as we face ridicule and resistance, to rely on you always in prayer, to know that you are our source of power and strength, for us to be ready to keep pressing on in the work, to rally together as one people, supporting each other to keep pressing on, for us to keep remembering how the greatest enemies that we've ever faced, sin, death, and the evil one, you have overcome, you've conquered through your son, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces that you've already won for us. And we pray that you'll help us to remember to fight, to work, to press on with diligence and vigilance, for us to be on guard, for us to watch that we are not falling prey to the voices of this world that turn us away from you, that we're not stumbling and falling because of our own sinfulness, that we're succumbing to or, or the conflicts and the broken relationships that we're feeding. Help us to be on guard so that we can be strong to keep serving you. May it be said of us here in SLE in 2022 and beyond that there be a roll call, a report of how we have been hard at work in doing the work of the Lord. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.